Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of What Most People Think. So we've got the century up now, so to start building an innings. We want to go for a daddy hundred here. Um, just a quick explanation. I know the music still says lockdown in it. Lockdown, lockdown edition. I just, I still like that tune, but I'm working on a replacement for it. So maybe you could help us out with what word, what two syllable word should go in place of lockdown, because it sort of helps with the tune, because I realised when you took the lockdown bit, it doesn't sound as good. So uh, what most people think UK at gmail.com email in, and what two words can, can sort of sum up our new reality as we have most of our freedoms restored until obviously vaccine passports come in and you know we have winter lockdowns and uh, they take them all away again um thank you for all the feedback for episode 100 uh, with al murray in it was just great to have a chat with a comic who sees the comedy industry and the actual act of producing comedy so clearly and as you know good antennae uh, for what people you know really want or you know to uh to sort of get the USP of the podcast out. What most people think, that's what this podcast is about. Trying always to get to the heart of what is a reasonable assessment of the centre ground of uh, British political view, which actually often is centre-right, you know, but uh, not that you'd think that from social media. So this uh, episode is going up a little bit early, and that's because I'm going away. It's Tuesday, Tuesday today. This will probably go up either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. And we're going away to the south coast. We're going to the south coast. And uh, I've got a little itinerary together because I'm 44. And that is my job as a man and as a father is to... to this fun that's going to happen isn't going to happen without strict scheduling and hitting our hitting our marks, okay, family? And I was explaining it all to my wife of just how exactly what we're going to do on each bit <laughs> of each day. And uh, I saw the light drain out of her eyes a little bit. As she sort of realised that I've become, uh, you know, I've gone full Clark Griswold. You know, the guy from uh, from uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. That's a very much mid-40s thing to do, isn't it? You go, right, okay, someone's got to seize this by the scruff of the neck. So from hour 11 till midday, I've checked the forecast, and we'll be by the pool then. But there's a 14% chance of precipitation there, so we will then be going to the aquarium. Because aquariums are... You, there's a, have you ever noticed that when you go away... Aquariums are just like they're they're re- when, when have you ever gone? Oh fucking what a great aquarium that was. And if if you know of one, there'll probably be somebody right now going, Well, actually there was one in New York that I went to. I mean your general British seaside aquarium. It's just one of those standard fucking things that you do. You go there, you don't give a shit about all the other stuff. You go, right, show me some penguins, show me some fucking stingrays, and let's get out of here. Um just pick up on a couple of smaller subjects here. The Olympics, right? So the Olympics are going on. Team GB, we're doing all right. We're doing all right in the medal table. 
Um, but there's been some talk about one of the co-hosts of the BBC's main evening coverage, Alex Scott. And she's had coverage for various reasons uh, or for other things in the past. But this guy, Lord Digby Jones, he criticised her, uh, her pronunciation. He said that she wasn't pronouncing her Gs at the end of words that end in ing, right? Like rowing, uh, swimming. And she says rowing, swimming, right? I, this, I mean, like, this does happen. People get criticised for pronunciation still on radio 4 you'd think the most uh, controversial thing that i'd do is have political views that are right of center but no a lot of people just you know they don't like the way that i, I drop my h's and, and and my t's and stuff like that so the natural reaction to this because this guy's called Lord digby jones he couldn't sound more upper class and tory if you're all white that you know if you tried and then people will, will rally so then uh, alex scott did this post saying i am proud I'm proud of where I come from. You know, she sort of defends herself and the way that she talks. Fair enough. You know, I'm broadly on side with that. But then what happens is it's another one of these, you know, and then people leap to her defence, obviously, the usual uh, Twitter writing mob that seem to think that by slamming other people, that somehow makes them a good person, including Stephen Fry and people like that. And I thought, right, well, what Lord Digby Jones has done there is he's allowed an easy way out of the question, which is, is Alex Scott really up to the job of anchoring the Olympics, you know? Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. You know, she seems to lack uh, a little bit of gravitas. She's, you know, she's happy to be there, evidently. Um, but you know, I sort of look at Denise Lewis opposite her and think, well, there, you know, there's an actual Olympian there. Denise Lewis seems to talk with a bit more kind of clarity and, and knowledge in terms of what she's talking. About. It does seem a little bit sometimes like like sort of Claire Baldwin met someone on a do and said, oh, do you, do you fancy coming and? And hosting some Olympics coverage. And I've no doubt that, that, you know, if Alex Scott stays in the job longer, she will get better at it and stuff like that. But it's what these it's what these debates prove. You always get some extremely, you know, snooty right wing person that overdoes it and goes in and is genuinely like quite unpleasant about someone. And then you get the overreaction from the liberal side. And the question that gets lost in the middle is just a simple one is, you know, is, is this person really the best available presenter that we've got uh, for the Olympics? Just a quick thing about uh, Labour as well. And I've realised I'm doing stories here in the first bit, which I don't normally do, but there's a couple of smaller things that I wanted to uh, get stuck into. Is There was a bit of talk recently that Labour have narrowed their lead in the polls. And obviously, you know, that's that's better for them than where they were at. But I was sort of thinking, you know, this is, this is the midterm. We're getting up for the midterm of this parliament, right? Where the Tories have an 80-seat majority. And the best that they've done is they've managed to narrow the lead <laughs> in the polls. We're only behind by five points. Paradise awaits. I, I don't think it's good enough. I don't think it's good enough. I think Starmer, I mean, like in terms of what they provided as as opposition, a lot of what they've said in relationship to uh, COVID has been like, well, let's do it sooner. Let's do it faster. Let's do it quicker. Let's do it better. Why do you listen to them but not us? Which just sounds less like opposition and more like nagging. It does sound like nagging, doesn't it? Well, do it quicker. Do it faster. Why don't you put the bins out? Um and it's two weeks since we've uh, unlocked and, you know, all these 100,000 cases that we were predicted to have just haven't happened. You think again, when you look at like the, uh, when you look at the scale of expertise that's sort of rallied behind one opinion, when do they ever get, I mean, if I was as wrong about the numbers as some of these experts have been about the COVID numbers, I'd be, I don't know what the equivalent would be in terms of doing a gig. It would just be to walk on with a fucking bucket on my head, face the wrong way. And just make uh, and just make whale noises, and, and you know at the Edinburgh Fringe that would be good enough for a nomination. But what what do what what do Labour do? You know, do they just get rid of Starmer? 
he's sorry if you're a Starmer guy or a Storm trooper, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. And and this is like a football club, isn't it? Do you actually realise mid-season it's not really happening, is it? We're still flirting with you know we've won a couple of games recently, but it's been a real lean patch. Or do you do? Do you wait until it's too late and do like what Newcastle would do if they were in the bottom three? They'd wait until five games left. And, you know, like, you know, when they brought back Keegan, Labour will bring back Blair or do something where it might have been the right guy at a different time, but it would just be just be too late. So I think the Labour Party, they just need they need a different person in charge. I think that's really fucking obvious. You know, if you can't score, you know, if you can't make inroads on the Tories after uh, the exam sort of catastrophe, PPE, you know, pile them high, you know, that comment Boris made that most of the country didn't really take that seriously, but was a big deal on social media. You know, the very existence of Matt Hancock, if you can't have cut the lead by then, then I don't think it's going to happen. So, sorry, a bit late in the show, we're going to do the cuss count for last week, which was 0.28 swears a minute. So I've definitely, my curve has definitely gone down, even... Uh, you'd think with somebody like Al, you know, I wouldn't necessarily manage my language as much with the pub landlord. But yeah, it was relatively low. Al came in with 10 swears, which puts him in a very healthy place on the leaderboard. That puts him on at five. Still no one really coming close to Ramesh Ranganathan averaging 26 uh, swears per episode. And that's on three episodes. It's very hard to see how this is going to get caught. Maybe, as Romish will always be the Christmas show guest now, if no one's caught him by then, it might be time to do a trophy uh, and start again. We've got new patrons. I mentioned the VIP patron in this section and then the other guys later on in the show. It's Mike Thorogood. Mike Thorogood. Uh, that's a cool name. Mike Thorogood sounds like he'd have a really bassy voice there. Hi, oh, you're through to Mike Thorogood. Mike Thorogood, are you like a late-night Australian uh, radio DJ? Hi, Mike Thorogood in the evening. Hey, who who wants to listen to some Barry White? Hey, Mike Thorogood. Thoroughly good. You're, it's thoroughly good with Mike Thorogood on Sydney 922.8 FM. Mike Thorogood. Thoroughbred. I mean, there's so much positivity in your surname. And you're a VIP patron. What, what a fucking guy. Uh, we'll do a thank you and a fuck you. A thank you to the people that came out to the tour show in Bath, it was it, so. The thing is, the tour isn't really starting until the f- second week in September. But the people of Bath, you know, they're having their festival and they're like, Oh, we need you here this week. So I had to kind of really work my ass off to get the tour. As you imagine, I'm still doing like new material things and building it up. So I cobbled it together. <laughs> no, I got it in a decent nick, um, but it was a hard to fucking remember all of it. And I did a show in Bath and the audience were, were very cool. I The audience, I couldn't work them out at times. And then I realised like, oh, they look liberal, but they're actually way more conservative than me. And once I worked that out, we had a lot of fun. Um, but on the way to the stage, as I was walking to the stage, I knocked over someone's drink. And then I saw this red on my trainers. And on the way home, my foot, my feet stank of Merlot. And I didn't know, you know, like how trench foot was a condition in the First World War. I thought maybe Merlot foot is like a like a, a sort of an ailment people get in Bath because <laughs> it's so fucking middle class there. They've got their own clean air zone. You seeing those are coming in? Bath, obviously one of the first to have it. You're just seeing, I haven't checked. I'm sure Brighton's got one. Bristol, you know, these left-wing enclaves. We've got a clean air zone, got a clean air zone. It's, uh, you know, just doing our bit. It's not really going to fucking change anything globally, but um, we feel good. Uh, a, a fuck you. Um, so the fuck you is Constantine Kistin, friend of the show, did a long Twitter thread. Now, I know not everyone's on Twitter, but I would advise you to go and have a read of this because what he sort of does is he unpicks 
how a normal person could become quite heavily anti-vax, the kind of things that could radicalise them. And he kind of goes all the way through the, you know, the electoral certainty that Brexit wouldn't happen and Trump wouldn't get in, you know, the way that uh, Russian interference was quoted in both and they're not really proved to have been a thing. The Cambridge Analytica thing went down the same route. Uh, he also talks about how some of the stuff that Trump said about a year ago is now, but, you know, quite mainstream thinking. So he kind of tries to illustrate how an average person might have lost faith in mainstream media. It's a really good thread. And then, because it's done really well, it's got thousands and thousands of retweets, there's a lot of people that are threatened by this because it sort of unpicks, it sort of holds the liberal establishment kind of accountable for a lot of what's happened. And so people have started trying to, uh, you know, go for him online. And because one of the things that he mentions is there was an American actor, a black guy called Jussie Smollett, who um, was basically staged his own racist kidnapping, which fucking... Sounds so mental. When you think about it, he staged his own racist kidnapping. And it seems, you know, depending on which source, I mean, definitely staged it. But it seems that it's because he was he thought he was going to get written out of a show. And he was sort of thinking, what's a good PR stunt? Remember when PR stunts used to be actors, you know, soap opera actors opening a local supermarket? I'd, I'd say staging your own fucking racist kidnapping. <laughs> was a, a bit of a stretch. But then he sort of, so Constantine points out how that was initially reported and given loads and loads of coverage. Uh, and then when it was proved that it was staged, that it wasn't given much coverage. But this is what people do uh, online, is that they try to um, they try to boil things down to just one thing that someone said. So a few people have taken this one, you know, it's 50 posts in this thread that Constantine's done. As I say, well worth a read. But they're pulling out this one thing that he said about Jussie Smollett and they're saying, so let me get this straight because Jussie Smollett, I don't have to believe in vaccines. And it's like, it's not what he's fucking saying at all. And it just shows like, you know, when someone's backed into a corner uh, and they're threatened, they're just looking. This is, I mean, you know, call me a cat. I, I, I talk about stuff on the podcast more and more now because social media, and maybe I'm a coward for doing it, but they're, they're these pricks, they're just looking for that slight inconsistency in what you say because social media, the decks are loaded in their favour. It is left-leaning and liberal overwhelmingly because what these people are looking for is, um, is a way of establishing on a daily basis that they're a good person. So they need villains, right? They absolutely need the villains. Who is it? Oh, Neil Oliver said something about catching COVID. You know, oh, we, oh, I'm against Neil Oliver. So that means I'm a good person. Oh, Jeremy Clarkson said something about... Uh, you know, the, the reality that people will die. Oh, I'm against Jeremy Clarkson. I'm a good person. And it, it it made me think of a little moral tale that I thought of. And this might be a weird way to close the first section. But um, but here it is. Right? Just imagine this. This is I'm trying to illustrate my view of these people in a, in a strange little moral tale. A Twitter activist arrives at the pearly gates. And St Peter says to him, or her, or they, or fucking whatever... <laughs> I wonder if St. Peter now actually does that, you know. Oh, do you think if there is a conventional afterlife that they're up with the latest woke trends? That even, the, even they're looking down the list going, oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know what to call them these days, God. They're coming up identifying as all sorts. Jesus Christ. Oh. Um, so a Twitter activist comes to uh, the pearly gates and St. Peter says, so have you been a good person? And the Twitter activist gets out their phone and shows screenshot after screenshot of all the times that they've insulted right-wing politicians and quote-tweeted right-wing journalists telling you how much they disagree. And Sir Peter nods and says, fair enough, but what did you actually do? I'll just leave that there. Is that profound or was that shit? I'm thinking now I've finished it. 
Shit. I mean, it needed a punchline, didn't it? Oh, here's a punchline. Consequently, St. Peter's Twitter account gets permanently suspended. There you go, punchline. Okay, so this week is one for the purists. We're just doing a couple of subjects. It is just us for this week, and then we'll be back with a guest next week. First up, we'll be looking at the decision by the American Medical Agency to suggest that we should take <laughs> biological sex off birth certificates. <laughs> Okay, so for this subject, we're going to go back a bit. Um, you know Andrew Doyle, friend of the show, was on the very the third episode actually, and he was the who is the creator of Titania McGrath. Who, have, if you haven't seen Titania, she's an online character who's a piss take of like the, the super woke, essentially. And a long time ago, uh, Andrew did a tweet via Titania, which was basically saying that um, you know that they thought that putting biological sex on a birth certificate was essentially inhibiting people, and you know we need to remove this kind. of toxic levels of labeling well fast forward to 2021 and we had uh, the american medical agency is that what they're called they're called the ama look i think you know for this podcast that's enough level of facts that's already more sort of <laughs> accuracy than i normally go for but i've got the quotes here and the idea is that requiring it it being uh, biological sex being indicated can lead to discrimination an unnecessary burden on individuals whose current gender identity does not align with their designation at birth, namely when they register for school or sports, adopt, get married, or request personal records. Now, I'll just give you a second here, because I can imagine a lot of you going, oh, for fuck's sake. I mean, whatever next. Whatever next. I don't know if there is anything after this. I don't know how much more excessively woke you can be. And let's just say that, that woke as a word, I, I think it gets overused. But I think that this is an example of exactly, of a very woke way of thinking. I'll, I'll, I'll read on. A person's sex designation at birth would still be submitted to the US Standards Certificate of Live Birth for medical, public health and statistical use only. All right, so they're sort of saying, look, you know, we're still going to have a sort of secret record of who's actually biologically male or female. Oh, right, that's, uh, I mean, the thing is, they call it sex designation. I would argue that designation is a thing that is a, de a decision by somebody, not something that is evidenced by the existence of a cock and balls or, you know, the knowledge that, of a, or a vagina or the knowledge that someone has ovaries. This is mental. This is fucking mental. And I just read on them where they, were, they are in the States already. It's that 10 states offer a gender-neutral designation on birth certificates, but not on passports. Because, yeah, surprise, surprise, all right, is that you can play around with this stuff, but the moment that you know that you're travelling to other countries, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure that uh, in the Middle East they're going to be playing around with that shit where you just put, like, a fucking X on your passport. You know, there's a lot of countries where they go... Uh, <laughs> You imagine you get to passport control in fucking Saudi Arabia, and you're like, uh, "Yeah, I, I don't, I don't actually sort of like identify as one sex or the other." Like, okay, um, just go and sit in one of those waiting rooms over there. Somebody will be along to talk to you very quickly. And so there are um, dissenting voices to this. Robert Jackson, MD, I think he's related to Doogie Howser. Little 90s joke for you there. Uh, an, alternate, an alternate delegate from the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery. I mean, look, this, is, <laughs> this isn't the greatest guy necessarily to be speaking for the beliefs that I hold true is that he's from cosmetic surgery, which kind of, you know, quite heavily depends on people having significant uh, needs of gender and appearance. But anyway, he's got an MD, right? MD, we, this guy knows what he's fucking talking about. 
He said, we as physicians need to report things accurately. Quite a radical idea there that doctors should actually say the truth. Um, All through medical school, residency and speciality training, we were supposed to delegate all of the physical findings of the patient we're taking care of. I think when the child is born, they do have physical characteristics, either male or female. (laughs) It's just fucking mental that he's having to say this and just win people around to this argument. And I think that that probably should be on public record, but that's just my personal opinion. That's exactly what he says. I mean, it just goes to show that an actual doctor saying the fucking truth has to kind of qualify it as though, look, that's just one of my hot takes. Everyone in the AMA says it. They call me Crazy Bob, uh, Crazy Bob Jackson. So, you know, just just take me with a pinch of salt that male and female is definitely a fucking thing. But the riposte to that, this is from Sarah May Smith, MD. She's another member of the... I've done that joke. Uh, She's the delegate from California. Speaking on behalf of the women physicians section, said removing the sex designation is important for moving towards gender equity. Okay. She said, we need to recognise gender... I'm going to read this with an upward inflection because I imagine this is how it was said. We need to recognise gender is not a binary but a spectrum, obligating our patients to jump through numerous administrative hoops to identify as who they are based on sex assigned at birth, primarily on genitalia, is not only unnecessary, unnecessary, fair enough, but actively deleterious to their health. It's... It's only deleterious to the health for the relatively small number of people who suffer from gender dysphoria, right? Now, that is a real thing. There needs to be an attention to that, whether it's through counselling, fully transitioning, you know, self-ID. But don't don't act like for the majority of people knowing that you're male or female is some kind of fucking cross that you have to bear. And the, the, the um, the argument that she also puts forward, that race was once public on birth certificates, and now it isn't. Okay. Uh... I mean, I mean, what, that, that's a great play, isn't it, when you're from the woke side of things? Just, uh, race, something, something race, comparison with race, I don't know. Fucking, I've, seen, I've said race, I see all the middle-aged white guys getting uncomfortable, I'm going to keep saying it, race, race, race. And then the other argument is that sex no longer has a role in to play in the jobs people do. I think that's the theory. I certainly understand the theory that sex should not be a barrier to a job. But let's just say that... It's been a while where women could be mechanics and uh, the take-up isn't great, is it? That's one of the things that makes me laugh about you. You know, I, I mentioned this before, but you know, teaching my son, you know, he, he's grown up in a very progressive world, so I sort of have to split the line between what I think and the world he's growing up in. So as I always say to him, son, there's no reason why a woman should, shouldn't be a mechanic. It's just most of them don't want to do it. <laughs> I can't not tell him the truth and make out like there's this world where there's loads of female mechanics and firefighters and... You know, this is one of those ideas, taking the, uh, the sex off a birth certificate. It should have got that shut down at boardroom level. You know, it should have got shut down. Um, you know, it's like long meeting and one of the younger, newer, woke members who's already probably escalated three complaints about other members of staff starts wanging on again. She's sitting there going, I, I just think like gender is, is, is a construct and we know that now and that should be formally recognized on, by not being on the birth certificate. And then, you know, the guy the guy holding the meeting, old Chuck, right? He's 55, he's worried. He's just, he's like, Dan, he's like Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon, just desperately trying to get to retirement. <laughs> and he's like, um, well, that sounds like something my teenage daughter would think. Yeah, no, fuck it. That's, um, I don't care. 
I'll just go stick this shit out for five more years. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, biological sex. Yeah, let's take off the birth certificates. That sounds like a wonderful idea, Janine. And what if, you know, what if? That, you know, I know that there's this divide between biological sex, which some people still dispute, but is a reality to almost fucking everybody, right? And then there's gender, which we can see that there's an element of construct in it. But what if, what if gender is a consequence of sex, right? What if gender is... We, so we spent... The, the much bigger part of our, our recent history as mammals, you know, in a more primitive setting whereby our bodies contributed to, to how we acted. So women, you know, <laughs> this is what I, I'm not going to sound like an anthropologist here, but women, yeah, they've got tits, they can feed the babies. They've got wombs, they can make the babies. You know, they're not as strong, but, um, you know, they... they uh, so they, maybe they stay here in the place and do the gathering of berries and the rearing of the kids. The men, they're a bit stronger, a bit quicker. Not so great with the kids. <laughs> Maybe that's where childcare stereotypes come from. It's not that we've just allowed it to be this way, but that very early on that we could see, ah, oh, he's, uh, yeah, if I leave him alone, the baby is going to cry. He's going to throw it out of the fucking cave, you know, or he's going to use it as bait for a wolf in some moment of insanity. So we kind of, you know, we kind of did that, and then the women were more communicative. And we noticed to this day that in, in, in pretty much all cultures, in, in especially in the early years, girls, you know, their, their verbal abilities, uh, verbal reasoning is way ahead of boys. They use more words. What is it? Women use 20,000 words in a day, and men use 7,000 words. So, like, this this exists. This exists. And so the, the, the mistake maybe is to think all of it just was something that we just fucking made up, you know, society just came up with this just to keep women down. Maybe it, maybe it's there, maybe it's a consequence um, of sex. But the truth is, you know, women, most women want to have long hair, even the most feminist women that you know, they want to have long hair. Why is that? Why, why do they want to let you know with every verbal cue possible that they are female? Maybe they like being female, like maybe they know that womanhood is a state into which, you know, that they, they feel like they fit in it. I mean, I didn't understand the long hair thing when I was a kid. I actually thought women just, like, grew hair at a quicker, quicker rate. <laughs> you know, in my mind, it was like women have long hair, but then I thought it was some sort of genetic reality rather than the fact that they just don't cut it as often. Um, and the communication thing is massive. We all know this to be true. We all know this. Do a bit of Michael McIntyre. We all know this to be true, right, when you're at home. Um, but when you go and visit, when you go and visit, like, fam family and friends, the, the, the point at which men would leave versus the point at which women would leave is very fucking different, isn't it? You know, I think for an hour and a half, most blokes would feel like that was enough for most social means. And I'm not saying that that's right. I'm, there is a richness that comes from those extended gatherings and stuff, but most blokes, an hour and a half, they'd be like, right, we get on the road. You know, the M25 is not good at this time. It's, uh, let's, let's, get, let's get cracking. But, but, but women, even once women have identified the, um, the, the right time to leave, okay, like, this is run its course, they still have a lot of difficulty in pulling the trigger. You ever noticed that? Where they just sit there and they go, anyway, best get going. Yeah, yeah, best get going. Oh, and then you're standing up. They've indicated that the social gathering is at an end and you stood up to go and get the coats. Now you're in fucking no man's land. Sometimes the, you know, the bit after that is like almost as long as the first bit. They just keep going. And you think, is this because you really got more information to share or just because you're worried that... If you suddenly leave, seem to leave abruptly, it will sour the experience and then you'll just be perceived to be a bitch. What is... Answers answers to what most people think, uk at gmail.com. Please tell me, ladies, are you just as desperate to finish these fucking social gatherings as the men, but maybe you're just nicer? So there's this issue on the left whereby 
there's a d- desire to be supportive to the trans community. But but w- so the left wing have already lost the working class. But now what you also have is I increasingly see is there's left wing women that are kind of surprised and disappointed by just how quickly the left has been, how easily that they've abandoned the idea of the sort of the protected identity nature of being a woman. I see it increasingly in interactions. Women are like, fuck, just because of your desire to kind of be part of the kind of patchwork of opinions that creates being securely woke, you, you've just abdicated your responsibility to a, an identity that's needed protecting time and time and again throughout history. So I think that things like this are, I think what most people think is just like you'd struggle to explain this to most people in your family, right? Like the, the, an actual medical agency has suggested that we remove sex identification from birth certificates. This is why it's another problem with the left is people sort of go, what is the left? Am I on this side? And they think, well, you know, the right do some stupid things. They're mean sometimes. I think that they could be a bit more generous. And then they look at the left and go, however, these fuckers are crazy. a quick hype here for the tour which starts on the 8th of September in Nottingham I think there's still tickets available for that we're going to Barnstable we're going to Leeds we're going to Milne Keynes we're going to Southport who fancies it Southport bit of a Southport weekend yeah let's get the fucking eddies in um, let's we're going to well, I think the Leicester Square Theatre shows are all sold out but there is a waiting list that you can get on for that uh, Manchester's sold out but you could go you could go Leeds that's close isn't it hey fucking Northern Monkeys um <laughs> And you you could go, you know, we're in Birmingham at the old Rep Theatre. That one's still got tickets left. We're going, Shrewsbury's sold out. Look, we're going everywhere. If you want to come and see me live, I've now done a full version of the show. And I, it is a bit more, it's more provocative than I expected it to be. I think I'm chilling out on social media, but maybe I'm getting a little bit angrier <laughs> uh, on stage. So if you fancy seeing a 44-year-old man uh, struggling to understand the modern world, it's I Blame the Parents. Go on Live Nation and get your tickets booked. Okay, let's have a quick chat about mental health stuff this week. Um, so let's look, there's been a lot in the news because various high-profile athletes, uh, which is more of a yank phrase. You know how the Americans use that for anybody who's like, they were called Ben Stokes, an athlete. <laughs> you know, which fair enough, he's, he's in good nick. But if you think how the American designation uh, would apply to uh, cricketers from the 80s, do you know what I mean? Mike Gatton, would he have been an athlete? Well, anyway, several uh, American, well, the US gymnast, right? The Chinese tennis player, they've all Ben Stokes. They've all backed out of various things using mental health as the reason, right? And and it, it tends to get a similar reaction in the liberal left world, which is what makes it a good what most people think subject, right? It gets an off the peg reaction, which is we stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, hand in hand, trans men and man, save the planet, go Greta, thoughts and prayers, uh, genders construct, <laughs> you know, just all the usual opinions. And it doesn't tend to get much interrogation, right? And then on the other side of that, you get somebody like Piers Morgan who questions it, right? Who questions whether or not these athletes are just giving in uh, to pressure and whether or not they need to be stronger. And I would say that without sort of giving the game away of this section, I think that Piers Morgan's attitude would be closer to society as a whole. I don't think that means that Piers Morgan's definitely right, but I just think it's another one of these huge disconnects between uh, the general public and the kind of, uh, you know, the liberal left, particularly as an online movement. And now our friend Alex Scott, who we mentioned earlier in the show, and I don't want to seem like I'm digging out because I have no 
issue whatsoever with her. She seems like a very nice person, but she did a kind of monologue um, when that, well, I can't remember that athlete's name, you know, the girl, the US gymnast, right? When she pulled out and she did a little monologue, which I think was an attempt to go viral, which was the usual stand shoulder to shoulder. We've got, we've got to talk more about mental health. You know, that's the standard refrain is it's still very taboo. It's so taboo. You're talking about on a fucking primetime sports show, okay? You're not talking about it. You're mentioning the words mental health. You want to talk about it, let's get a specific chat going and talking about how anxiety feels, you know, what kind of things bring on depression. Not just not just say solidarity, solidarity with mental health sufferers. But anyway, so she did that kind of monologue. And so again, you get one of these divides. And, you know, I understand the pressures of mental health. And there are caveats here that sort of maybe would suggest that this year's Olympics might be more pressurised than previous ones. One, I suppose on one hand, you don't have the uh, the number of people in the stadium, which definitely makes it less pressurised. I mean, I can only say that having appeared on some panel shows recently, and um, you definitely, when you're going to the gig, the fact that you know there won't be a full studio audience, definitely, you know what I mean? You sort of think, well, as long as us comedians will laugh at each other's jokes, we might be all right. Um, but, but on the other hand, there are more mental health problems that have been bottled up as a consequence of the pandemic right so maybe people are carrying those in we'd have all seen since we've um, had traffic lately on the road traffic is back and so are angry middle-aged men driving close behind people flashing them get out of the way get out <laughs> road rage is back isn't it have you seen that road rage is back those guys if you're listening to this and you're one of those guys where you think i drive a powerful car people should make way same, you're probably the same guy that when you go to the swimming pool, you do front crawl and you literally just fucking elbow people out of the way as you go. Fair enough, you're an alpha, brilliant. What I want to know is when you're driving like that and you're, you're tailgating someone and you see, you can see that there's 20 cars in front of them, right? Is that what you just think that everyone should just make way, that there should be some sort of Moses parting of the M6 for you so everyone should just get out of your fucking way because you've got a powerful car? So we know that these things are back. We've got these new pressures dormant mental health issues right that may have resurfaced but there is a, a difference between mental health right mental health issues and and pressure you know they're not the same thing now there will be things that seem like a mental health problem that are come as a consequence of pressure and look maybe one of the issues that older generations where we react badly to this is because it shines a light on us don't we i sort of think oh you should just carry on, just keep going. But then I think, well, maybe that's because that's what I did and I don't really want to interrogate whether or not those are the right decisions. I mean, for example, in the build-up to me doing live at the the Apollo, I was in a right old state. I'd done a, a run at the Edinburgh Fringe and it just took a lot out of me and then it was like five days after the Edinburgh Fringe finished, I had to do live at the Apollo. Normally, if you'd done the Edinburgh Fringe for that long, you'd be sitting in a darkened room just sucking your thumb, you know what I mean, just crying over the bad reviews and <laughs> in the fetal position. But I sort of had to try and get myself off the floor and, and uh, I did a I did a warm-up gig for it and I had like a panic attack on stage. But I just got through it, you know what I mean? And Live at the Apollo was coming up and it was, yeah, I just had every, every the worst, all the worst fears that you can imagine of how it would go generally. And I think I mentioned this in the episode with Sean Walsh was that I was, uh, I thought that I'd either fall over or piss myself. So I sort of had the anxiety that you should have, that I should have when I'm drinking, because it's actually quite possible there that I'll do both. <laughs> Just fall over and piss myself. Um, that would have been, that would have made for an interesting Live at the Apollo experience. Again, the critics would probably have liked that more, but all right, so I, I was going into that. It was it was tense. What what should I have pulled out? 
because what that would have done to my career now people might make the right noises publicly but in this day and age you know you say oh I'm pulling out because mental health they go yeah no we completely understand you've got to do what's right for you hashtag mental note don't book this fucker for anything ever again now shoot me for just telling the truth that is how employers would think or not necessarily they're not necessarily being evil but something like Live the Apollo is a big production and you need to kind of know that the people that you book are going to be able to more or less fucking do the show right and and it, would I? But forget external agencies. What would have happened to me if I'd have not done that gig? Then I would have given into a fear. Uh, it was an irrational fear, of course. You know, the, the the overwhelming likelihood was that I would get through it. You know, in terms of what it took out of me, that's another issue. But then the next time that I needed to do something big, my most recent memory was of not doing it. You know, and then the fear breeds. Then you start to become, you know, fear. You're scared of fear, right? And there, there were times maybe like when I've been doing comedy where I could have been smarter and just pulled out. Because I've definitely got a thing of just keep going. You know, like the night in Monty Python. Dude. It's definitely a thing in my family. Well, in my dad's case, he actually did lose an arm. <laughs> but is is just carry, carry on. And there were certain times with my job where I probably could have just took myself out of the firing line. You know, if I'd have been a cricketer, they might have done that. You know, you hit a few ducks in a row and they go, yeah, you know, Jeff is uh, he's still looking great in the nets. But maybe that's where he should fucking stay. Um, you know, and, and and maybe there were times where I was doing the old duck and shit bag in Oldham or something that maybe I didn't need to be on stage that night. But you know, you can get the you can get the fear. You can get the fear, and I'm not I'm not, I'm not equating me gigging to two hundred pissed up stags and hens with the uh, you know the pressures of gigging on the Olympic stage. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that me doing knob jokes or observations about Keir Starmer's voice is necessarily up there with competing in the final of the javelin. But I'm I'm just. I'm just saying, you know, cricketers I understand in a way. Cricketers I understand depression more for them because that job is a petri dish for depression, isn't it? You know, you're out there loads of hours every day. You're just getting up. If you're fielding, you're going like, I've just got to be out here, especially if you're getting tonked. I've got to be out there for like, well, how many hours today? That's five, six hours? Jesus. You know, hotel rooms in other countries playing in the big bash. or And the only big bash you're really doing is you're, is you're wanking yourself into another dimension because you're it's gone to the point where we find another one of these binary arguments where you either sort of agree with Piers Morgan or or you you know you stand by hashtag solidarity with anybody that quotes mental health issues but no one can know what goes on in someone's mind right so there is always a tipping point for people but you do definitely need to to try and stick out things I think you know because it's the thing of anxiety, right? So this is the thing. Don't talk about mental health. Say something specific. Specific. The thing about anxiety is often the fear of something that's not going to happen. And sometimes doing the thing and it not happening is the proof that, that you need, right? It's the exhilaration that you get on the other side. Now, sometimes I've been in a place where it's so bad that even once you have that proof, you then fear the next thing. And if it goes on for long enough, maybe you do need to step away. But there is a big distinction between the mental, the consequences of mental pressure uh, and depression, and I'm just hoping all these discussions that we're having that we uh, that we don't lose sight of that. Just one letter this week. It's not a letter as such, but it's one from a loyal patron, Dell, who often corresponds. Uh, as a, by, by the way, um, oh, let's do, let's quickly do the 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 patrons, the rest of the patrons from this week. Almost forgot. I'm just about to like promote the the, the patrons thing, and then almost forgot to mention them. But we, as well as Mike Thorogood, 
Uh, we got Jack Gadston. I don't know about Jack Gadston, but he sounds like a pretty boy, Jack Gadston. Like an, an actor, like 22 years old. Bit, bit of, you remember Leonardo DiCaprio and Romeo and Juliet? That kind of good looking that blokes don't understand, but women do. Oh, he's so, just so pretty. Just so pretty. Yeah, you like that when you're now, love. Wait till you're fur. You need a solid fucking guy. You need a guy, cauliflower ears, who look like he <laughs> looks like he can take a punch. But uh, Jack Gadston there. Uh, Phil Davis. Phil Davis, very solid name there. Phil Davis. He sounds like he's. Uh, Drives a Vauxhall Vectra. Phil Davis, do you drive a Vauxhall Vectra? That's a Phil Davis. So you feel you're probably named Phil between the age of 38 and 55. Drives a Vauxhall Vectra. He's got his, he, he can tell you his top three favourite motorway service stations like that. <laughs> he would he'd go, yeah, uh, M6 Toll Road, Oxford Services and Weatherby. Um, I've, there you go. <laughs> this is you know you know subjects that will get a reaction from a certain kind of bloke. I've just named three very good services. If you if you can top that, if you can top that, contact what most people think UK at gmail.com And we've got Mark. So he's a one namer. He's working somewhere. He doesn't feel confident having his name shared. I'm imagining that Mark is like a sound tech for something th- uh, theatrical or something. Because sound techy guys, this is a great thing about. You know, with TV, everything in front of telly is is all, you know, in the production, it's all very liberal and lovey. But the great thing is once you get to the TV studio, cameramen and sound people are just blokes mainly. You know, there's more there are more women doing camera work lately and stuff, but predominantly it's blokes and it is a certain kind of bloke as well. So what happens is you do these jokes that none of the, <laughs> no one on the production really gets, but you know if you get a laugh off a cameraman that there's a there's a chance that Britain might laugh at it. So I think Mark, but I think Mark is working a place where maybe he's a bit younger and he doesn't want all the girls to go off of him. And so he's, he's presenting as lefty. But you never know, Mark. Some of these girls, you know, difference, as I'm saying in the stuff earlier about gender, difference is attractive. They might be like, fuck you, Mark, for being a Tory, but it's kind of ex- exciting. You know what I mean? It could be like, we well, mentioned Romeo and Juliet. You could be the fucking Montague, mate. She could be the Capulet. <laughs> uh, James Bryan here. This might be James O'Brien, but in disguise. James Bryan. That sounds like it could be an Irish name there, the way that you spent Brian. Um, or not. Brianne? James Brianne. Maybe James Brianne. I don't know. James Brianne. No, you sound like you could be like a specific correspondent for The Spectator. Like that you do, you cover. So there's an, a knocking noise in my house. I think that means my dog is wagging a tail against something. James Brianne, I know what you do. You're the food correspondent for The Spectator, but you managed to get politics into your reviews of restaurants. <laughs> the, the menu was acceptable, but super woke in some cases. <laughs> okay, so we, let's get back to Dale's letter here. Dale says, we've got Olympic medals in BMXing and trampolines, basically things that 10-year-olds do in the school holidays. You should, We should do well in the Tag With Ryan event. Yeah, BMX. Well, I mean, that's at the younger age of things, Dale. What about the older age? I have thought for ever since Euro 2021 final, public cocaine taking, it does need to come in. We mentioned it a couple of shows previously, but I think that it's almost like now I've seen with the weightlifting that you go up a weight, you could just go up a quarter of a gram each time. And then you just go, okay, here is uh, here's Steve from Sidcup. He absolutely nailed the quarter of a gram uh, earlier, but now he's, he's taken it up to half a G. He will, and that's gone straight up. Excellent. Look at that. Look at the British team. They know that they have got the chances, but the Colombians, they're still in this. Never count the Colombians out. Right. Okay. Steve is back. He is going for the full gram up the, the hooter here. 
Uh, yes, the cardiac teams are on hand. This could go. Oh, look at that. He's got, yeah, he's put it away very quickly. But now, oh dear, Steve's got very paranoid. He's just said he wants to open a restaurant with one of the Colombians. But now he thinks everybody's talking about him. Oh, drugs are a double-sided coin. So, yeah, I think. Another question. Yeah, well, let's get the emails going. There haven't been any recently. What most people think UK at gmail.com? Are there any kind of things that sort of social phenomenons like public cocaine taking or something else that seemed like sports that Britain would excel at. Okay, that is the end of this week's podcast. Just to, we have the reviews on iTunes. If you leave a five-star review, I will endeavour to read it out. This one's from Timmers64. So is that your age, Timmers? So see, you're going to be 12 years older than me. That means you're... 56. Oh, you must have loved the Al Murray one, right? Great chat, Val Murray. Particularly like the way you corrected is using ambivalent instead of ambiguous without him even noticing. Good attention to detail. Well, I used to be, uh, I used to be a uh, English teacher. This person, this person, thinks that they can leave a four star and still have it read out. Jog on. Um, <laughs> This is from James B20. Really funny and a great antidote to today's work, woke comedy world. Yes, I am fixing essentially the reviews with this. But who gives, who gives a fuck, all right? Maybe it's like the old LIBOR fixing scandal. Jeff Norcott was trying to manipulate his way to getting decent reviews. Uh, and those are the two that we've got recently. So I would say to Juicy Fruit 99 I appreciate um, your review. Uh, but, you know, you don't, get to, you don't get to leave a four-star and get rid out. And you might question... You know, you think that I'm sensible and yet I still vote for things that you don't understand. Well, you know, this is one of the problems of the left, my friend, is that when something keeps happening, it's not really incumbent on me to explain it. It's incumbent on you to understand, isn't it? I don't understand how the Tories have got another lead for the 123rd consecutive poll. Yeah, that number 123, I'm going to start looking at myself there, you know. So that is the key, and it's always been the key for the left, is instead of not understanding the voters, is understanding, put together a pitch to them that makes sense, and maybe you'll win an election. But uh, listen, thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Okay, okay.